Stand by. Business Power Hour starts in 25 seconds. Fifteen seconds. Ten seconds. <clears throat> the Business Power Hour. Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. And it's Alec Hogg here coming to you from our studios in Santon, Johannesburg. We have tried our best with our tech, but uh, I'm afraid it just didn't work out. The tech got the better of us. I'll be anchoring the show from now on. Uh, Jackie Cameron, who has been doing it for the last three weeks, has uh, been, well, we've all been beaten, I guess it was, by the technology. But anyway, tonight uh, it is my privilege to be back. It's eight and a half years since I was last anchoring a, a, business, a business radio show. This is the Biz News Power Hour. We've got a fascinating show for you, of course. We're going to be talking about Advertech, Impact Investing, Purple Capital's Transformational Transaction, Cryptocurrency, and of course, our dear friend David Shapiro is back in the harness. Dave, Good to have you on the program again. We go back to 1997. I don't, I don't suppose we should be saying it too loud. <laughs> no. <laughs> Markets have changed so much since then. Technology has changed so much since then. Uh, it's, uh, it's been a wonderful journey. Though. <laughs> well, we're going to have a long journey together from here mm-hmm. on outwards. But uh, before we get going, Jackie Cameron has uh, got the news headlines for us. We'll be settling as much as 1.4 billion rand in legal claims after insurers agreed to pay out on director liability policies. The announcement sent Steinhoff's shares up on the Johannesburg and Frankfurt stock exchanges. The move takes the scandal-hit retailer a step closer to a proposed $1 billion global lawsuit settlement, which was announced in July to settle about 90 separate legal claims in the Netherlands, Germany and South Africa. As part of the agreement, including with former chair Christo Visa, the insurers will offer an amount of up to 55.5 million euros to market purchase claimants, in exchange for certain waivers and releases. Steinhoff says it still maintains the right to take legal action against former CEO Marcus Joerster, former CFO Ben Lachranji, former Secretary Stehan Grobler and the group's ex-Steinhoff Europe Director Sigmar Schmidt for their alleged involvement in balance sheet fraud. Old Mutual has returned to paying dividends even though it reported an annual loss. It suspended its dividend in the first half as the pandemic dealt it a 6 billion rand blow. Old Mutual sales fell and credit losses rose. Old Mutual also had to hike its business interruption and rescue reserves to about 790 million rand in the second half. This rise was more than double its guidance in the first half. Northern Platinum says it will buy back all preference shares from its black economic empowerment vehicle Zambezi Platinum four years ahead of its 10-year maturation date. The nearly 2 billion rand transaction will offer a 16% premium for the Zambezi preference share, and will also include an overall 25% share buyback by Northam, the company said. Northam has been buying back Zambezi's preference shares from institutional shareholders to reduce its own preference share dividend expense and liability, and potential financial exposure under the guarantee it gave to shareholders. 
China faces the threat of foreign outflows from the second half of the year as rising borrowing costs in the U.S. drive investors out of emerging markets. This is according to a former advisor to China's central bank. The U.S. stimulus is boosting the outlook for growth and inflation, driving up bond yields and prompting investors to sell riskier emerging market assets. That, says Bloomberg, is a worry for global policymakers as they brace for more volatility in their currencies and financial markets. And that was your Biz News Flash Briefing. I'm Jackie Cameron for Biz News. Well, let's get the latest on the JSE. Justin Rowe Roberts is our man who uh, is watching the action. Justin, I'm having a look at the Wall Street Journal markets at the moment, and it looks pretty flat over in the U.S. How did we go in Johannesburg? Alec, the JSE All Share Index was down at 65,200. Some of the day's highlights include index heavyweight NASPIS being up 30 rand to 3,500 rand a share. Investment holding company Raynet increased by 12 rand to 290 rand a share. Sassel lost over 7 rand on the day to 210 rand a share on the back of lower oil prices. Anglo-American decreased 22 rand on the day to 550 rand a share. Just uh, just stand by a minute. Just stand by a minute. You said Raynet. We've been looking at Raynet recently. If I remember correctly, we got quite a big tip on that one that it was uh, Omri Thomas was telling us that was the way into Remgro. Agreed, Alec. And um, one of Raynet's biggest investments, British American Tobacco, was up strongly today, and that was the reason for its increase. My apologies. Not into Remgro, into BAT. Okay, so let's uh, go with currency and oil. In the currency markets, the rand strengthened against all the major currencies to 14 rand 73 cents to the dollar, 20 rand 30 cents against the pound, and 17 rand 50 cents against the euro. Gold is flat at $1,734 an ounce. Brent crude is sharply lower, trading at $62 a barrel. And one Bitcoin will put you back 810,000 rand. Now, nobody else can see it, excepting those who are watching on YouTube. But you're actually sitting in a very fancy studio there, Justin. Very nice to be back in Cape Town, Alec. As you know, this is my hometown at FMR, at the Artscape. Absolutely stunning day here. And um, looking forward to the rest of the show. And give our regards to all our partners down at FMR, who are our broadcaster in Cape Town. Also down in the Western Cape. Um, I say down because we are coming to you really from head office on the Highveld is Charles Boerter. Charles, uh, we're going to be talking a lot about Advertech in the next little while with David Shapiro and our special guest, Ari Katz, who is a competitor of Advertech. Uh, just going through the numbers, you're a CFA, you're, you're charged with giving us the intrinsic value per share. What did you find there? Alec, uh, I found the, the current share price, you traded at 12 Rand 23 today. Uh, so I found uh, intrinsic value of 14 Rand 68, which is incidentally exactly 20% more than the share price, uh, the current share price, which is also the margin of safety we require to make uh, investments, possible investments. So AdfiTech not looking too bad for somebody who wants to buy. So if the prospects of the company are good, and we're going to be discussing that in a moment, getting the context on it, you've got your margin of safety of 20%. What is margin of safety? Explain. Yeah, so margin of safety is a, is a concept uh, that comes from Benjamin Graham, who was Warren Buffett's teacher. And essentially, it, it captures the idea that you should re- leave room for error. So rather be uh, sort of vaguely right in your um, calculations of a company's prospects than being exactly wrong. So to give yourself, we know the future is very uncertain. So um, to give yourself room for where you probably are going to be wrong, so that if you're wrong, you're still 
within uh, good territory, so to speak. A bufferophile is David Shapiro, uh, who can uh, maybe give us an assessment on what then the way you describe marginal safety. Do you think Charles got it right, Dave? Nearly, <laughs> almost. It's, uh, you know, what Benjamin Graham said was, and you know, it was easy in those days because we never had the kind of information, but he would work out uh, what Charles said was the intrinsic value, which is really the, the discount of the today's value of future flows or of future either dividends or earnings, and you bring it back to a level um, which is uh, below the intrinsic value. And as Charles said, you know, that if it is below the trends of intrinsic value, it gives that margin of safety. You can buy. But you've got to look at the prospects of a business as well. You can't only work on on what the, uh, you know, what the technicals say, not technicals in this case, the fundamentals say. But, um, yeah, that's that was Benjamin Graham. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people have scrapped that idea these days and are looking more at growth and even Buffett. I think more looks at sustainable growth rather than, you know, the old way of uh, Benjamin Graham looking at it, the margin of safety. Yeah. Okay, so it's a little bit of a little bit of a shock absorber, mm. if you like, uh, from the yep. share price that you're buying. And and nowadays you can get quite bigger discounts. You can mm. with Advertech, Scholl's calculations, you're buying at eighty cents in the rand. You could probably be looking at things at sixty cents in the rand. But we're going to find out about that later. Dave, did you have a look at Advertech's results? I, you know, I've, I always like the education companies, and I don't, I haven't bought any. But I like to look at Stadia, I look at Curo, and I look at uh, Advertech in, with the sense of trying to establish what the industry is doing and where it's going. And I think it's in a very difficult space at the moment. Uh, you know, Advertech shares were down almost 2%. I thought it was a very reasonable result in uh, today's environment. But I, I suppose the market's looking ahead and saying, can they continue to grow the numbers? Uh, there are aspects of it. I don't know if you want to talk about it now, and, and it would be nice to talk to Ari about it, because what, uh, what impressed me about Advertech's numbers were the transition that they made to uh, remote, you know, to, to, to remote learning or teaching. And they did it uh, almost seamlessly because they had put this in place some time ago. And for me, this is where education has got so, you know, it's got uh, so many prospects as well in that you can start to bring out courses from all over the world and start to sell them. We've learned so much during the lockdown. And, you know, that's what I'm looking for in education companies. Can they do this? You know, will they be able to monetize this and, uh, you know, uh, do what, say, Advertech did? in, in uh, teaching 75,000 people remotely within, you know, got them there within a few weeks. And I think that also helped their profits a lot. So I, I, it, it's, it's a very interesting subject. It's what we call now the subscription economy, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, this, this, this uh, paying for things online now. So I think that's where I'm looking for education and, and how we transition to that. If you want to have a look at a, uh, an example of the subscription economy, when Microsoft mm. became a subscription economy mm. share, in other words, when the company moved from selling stuff in the, micros- in the stores to charging you every month, 
the share price has gone north and it just hasn't stopped yep. rising. But but let's get back to the, the point you mentioned. And Ari Katz is the chief executive of Boston City Campus. It is a competitor to um, Advertech. And, you know, Ari, I get so tired of these CEOs uh, on results days going around to the different radio stations and television stations and trotting out what the PR people have told them to do. We want to cut through all of that clutter. And there's no better way than doing that than actually talking to a competitor. Now, I know you're not going to, you're going to, not going to analyze the results and point fingers at it. But really, from what we saw in the Advertech numbers and what you're experiencing, is it the same world you're living in? So, first of all, I think kudos to Roy Douglas and his team. I think they've done a great job on the results they produce. And I think behind the results, there's a story. And you need to look at the context of that. And the context of the story is that this is a company that's a lot more difficult, I would imagine, to navigate and to manage than, for example, the other listed education codes such as Stadio or Curro, because it's a complexity of schools, tertiary, and, and uh, resources. So uh, it's, it's a much more complex environment. And in addition to that, the schools environment is a very capital-intensive environment, which underwent, I think, some... Uh, Aitas uh, during the pandemic with uh, kids having been, t- t- you know, taken off-site and being having to taught, been taught remotely, which I think is a lot more difficult in the tertiary space than typically in, sorry, in the school space than it would be in the tertiary space, obviously because of the age of the kids. And one sees that by looking at the comparative of Caro, for example. So Caro kicked off the year with a revenue increase of 16% and finished off with a revenue increase of only 5% indicating mm-hmm. the drop-off. On the Advitech side, they also finished the year off with a 5% increase on their school side, but yet their operating profits were up 6%, whereas Caro's EBITDA was down minus 1%. So which of the two shares, which of the two companies, if you didn't have your company, this is the Buffett question, which one would you invest in? Or which of the three listed companies would you invest so in if you could put under... About the school side. Yeah, if you could... Yeah, we'll talk... Ari, Ari, we'll talk about that later. But I want to know, okay. really, you, you, you're looking at the different uh, parts of it. Which of the three companies, if you could own it for five years and put it in your bottom drawer and the stock market was closed for five years, would you, would you want to own so before I answer that question, let me contextualize it a little bit. <laughs> Go for it. You, 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 you've got a story to tell, and you're going to tell it no matter what I ask. Huh? No, but I think the context of it is there's, in each of these companies, particularly those that are very um, infrastructure intensive, i.e. the school markets, which is really Curro and Advitech at this stage, uh, are much more infrastructure intensive. You need to understand also where they are in their J-curve which is really the critical thing about this industry. Mm. So this industry is an industry that is very much dependent on covering your fixed costs. Once you cover your fixed costs, the variable costs are not significant relative to the turnover. So it's all about covering your fixed costs. And if you're able to do that and manage your fixed costs and deploy your resources effectively, you're in the game. That's really what it's all about. Got it. And so the question you really have to ask yourself is who has really – uh, got traveled further down the J-curve, and you can sweat that J-curve better. So who has? In terms of their brands, their location, their distribution, their, you know, mitigating all those kinds of risks. Who has, Ari? And also which market they're playing. Ari, who has? Who's further on that J-curve? You've now told us what we've got to look for. Between the three of them. Yeah, boy. So I personally like uh, the Stadio share because uh, 
I think it's got the mix of the ability to, as David was talking about earlier, about the subscription economy. So it's a lot easier, I think, in the Stadia market to be uh, getting that ratio between distance and contact and infrastructure right. And it's a lot easier to manage those costs. And, of course, then, of course, that translates into your ability to pitch your revenue and your pricing. So that, if it was me, I would be betting on that one uh, if, it was, if I was choosing one of the three. David? I like Advertech. I, I just think they're a better place now. And I think mainly on the tertiary side because I think they're more entrenched than Stadia. Stadia's still got to build up that side. Whereas I think, uh, and, and I'm not a, a analyst and I haven't got Ari's background, but my understanding is that, you know, in the tertiary market, they do a lot of UNISA. In other words, they've got, you know, they, and, uh, what, what do they call it? Varsity College. They've got places, so they quite well established there in, in, in terms of, uh, where they are and also do a lot of courses, you know, post, uh, uh, I mean, business courses and so on. And I think that's where the money was made. I think, I think they, they outstripped, if I, if I recall, I think they outstripped the schools. They were far more revenue coming from the tertiary than, than from schools. And the uh, you know, schools wasn't bad. But I still think that, you know, that, that's the area I like about Advertech as well um, in that, uh, you know, that, that they're in the space which Stadia still has to kind of grow into and develop and get a name for. So my pick is with uh, – and look at – you know, just looking at the chart, I just got onto that. One of the nice things of being at home and not in a studio, I can pick up a chart, and I see they're turning around and looking quite, you know, quite good, uh, Advertech. They at least – uh, facing in the right direction and seem to have broken through uh, a down, you know, downtrend which has been there for quite a few years. You're a very brave so, man to take on Ari, who's an insider. But well, let's, let's listen. I'm, I'm with him on Stadio. <laughs> hey, Shaw. Uh, no, come on, Shaw. No, Ari, I was, uh, just wanted to ask you a question. So mm. I, I was looking through the Advitech results, and it seems to me the schools are really doing badly. They're making mm-hmm. very little uh, return on capital. As you said, it's a massive capital base. And, I mean, they've been along for a long time, so you would expect them to be in the J-curve sweet spot. The same with, with Kira. I looked at their the J-curve, and, I mean, mm-hmm. their schools that are 10 years old that are less than 80% full. So if you can't in 10 years for your school, uh, you know, when can you expect to do that? So I think one of the challenges that uh, Advitech and I guess Curra to some extent, but probably more so Advitech is facing, is that Advitech has got quite a number of brands that are in the top end of the market. So the Crawfords of this world, etc. And one of the, the problems with that, as they've mentioned themselves, is the immigration factor, which I think has affected that. Also, the, the fees are pretty high there. And in a, a downside economy, obviously there's, a, you know, there's pressure on the ability to collect fees. Um, so those kind of things must be affecting them a, lo- a lot more. I know that they have, uh, they have, they talk about their new brand, which is the online schooling brand, and we've also entered into that market as well. And that's really, I think, has got potential. Um, but yet, yes, you're right, they've got major investment in infrastructure in the schools, and they're going to have to work out a way to actually sweat those assets mm-hmm. a lot better. I mean, if you compare that to Curra, for example, Curra's got 10 billion rand invested in schools. And yet, if you look at their, their um, um, EBITDA, it's 886 million. Now, 886 out of 10 billion is not mm. an exciting number. Mm. 
And you have to believe if you if you want to be in that in that chair, you have to believe that that J curve has got a long way to go. Ari, just to explain what you mean by the emigration factor, Dave. I, I don't know if you mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. wanted that question too. Yeah. I'll let Ari go. Ari, the emigration uh, factor. One of the factors that was mentioned previously by uh, Advitech Management is the fact that quite a number of the people in the upper end of the market have actually been emigrating. And obviously that will result in a loss of students in that sector. Okay. Justin, I know you uh, haven't been on holiday in Cape Town. You've also been looking at these results. Before Ari goes, have you got a burning question? Not necessarily, Alec. Um, I did chat on the Business Power Hour to Chris Forster, the Stadio CEO, last Monday, which was an extremely interesting chat. And I tend to agree with Ari that within that education sector, I do like Stadio. Chris Forster did tell me that they aren't going to raise any any more capital from shareholders in the coming months. Um, so that's relieving. And, and the company seems well-placed to benefit. I really enjoyed the fact that they increased their numbers by 10%, um, which is good in, in these tough, adverse economic conditions. All right, so let's have a quick vote. Uh, I think we, I, I'm certainly with Ari. Sounds like you are as well, Justin. Charles, would you be of the three? Which is the ones you'd be going with? Uh, option four, but uh, if I had to choose, uh, I'd go with Charles, I'm in your camp. Charles, I'm in your camp. Option four is Boston. I go for Boston. Yeah. There we go. When are you listing, Ari? When are you listing? No, never. No, never. Ah, oh, that's such a smart man. We're in, eh? We've got 45 colleges around the country. We're both in the distance and contact mode. We can flex it as we want to. We've been in the distance mode for many, many years, so we understand mm-hmm. that space. And that's also one of the reasons I like, you know, I batted for Storia, because I understand that space. And we've moved recently into the distance space in the school markets. So, you know, we like that. Well, all the best to you, Ari. Thanks for coming on tonight. It uh, gave us a useful insight into financial results today from Advertech. Well, last week, we had a very interesting Biz News Power Hour. Um, some of us were swanning around in the Drakensberg. Not really. We had our and first our inaugural uh, Biz News Investment Conference. And uh, while we were away talking with our community, uh, there was a lot going on. Let's hear some of the highlights from the past week. Here's a well-known online retailer, predominantly Jaffe Chef, that's now being purchased by a very well-known you know, physical retailer. Not that Mr. Price doesn't have a strong online offering, um, but here you know, we're two quite important brands. And even though Yuppie Chef's a fraction of the size of Mr. Price, it's, it's a well-known brand from, in terms of the online space. And so I think that was the excitement. It's really, it's, it's more of an indicator that, you know, the traditional retailers are making moves and it's important for investors to see that. I think the Yappy Chef acquisition is particularly interesting because they bought a range that is not exactly in line with the current target market of Mr. Price because it's much more upper end, quite niched, and, and, and clearly mainly online, although they, they have grown a lot, Yappy Chef has with their physical stores. So I think what it does do in line with Mr. Price's strategy, it does bring now a slightly more niched upper end premium component to their homewares vertical that they had indicated they were looking to expand into. <laughs> We then filed our papers uh, with, with secured dates being the 29th, 30th, and 31st for the oral arguments we argued. Now, I didn't get a call. I'm the attorney also of ACDP in this matter. I got a call yesterday by Supra's attorney that they want to chat to us uh, on the developments. Now, it turns out that on Wednesday, there will be, and due to the pressure of ACDP and others, 
they, they've literally conceded to the usage and rollout of ivermectin and they will be raising the product on on Wednesday. So we then discussed the draft order and the draft order essentially covers everything that ACDP had sought by way of relief in the court. It's a major breakthrough um, for the people of South Africa because we've believed and been very adamant that ivermectin can assist in this uh, pandemic. Really, we're looking at a complete universe of gold companies. I think the South African ones, you know, commercially make a lot of sense. But uh, the the context for our comments was really around our results presentation where we had a an analyst asking um, about our entry into battery metals and our intention to grow in the gold space. And um, both, both, uh, both of those initiatives are really driven by the fact that at, um, at 13.5 billion dollars of market capitalization, Sabanya Stillwater is still not relevant in the, in the bigger investment space. We, you know, the other companies that he referred to are just part of a universal gold company. They're 60% and 40% smaller. Uh, than ourselves. And if we're not relevant, they're not relevant, and we're all going to either get consolidated internationally um, or we can do the consolidating. Often people think if you have a crisis like a sort of a COVID or even debt or whatever the case might be, people think that the wealth market is resilient and you're not impacted, right? So, so, And I think from a South African context, that's very far from the truth. So, because um, it depends, and one need to understand that. So, in the South African context, the bulk of our private wealth market are are self-employed people. So, so I think you can categorize people as, as salaried, self-employed, and then there's a high proportion of the age category. If you look at the client segments, the private wealth tend tend to be have have a higher age bracket as well, right? So. So if you then contextualize it, even before COVID, there were lots of strain. If you think of the economic growth, lower interest rate environment, which was just sort of fast-tracked with COVID. That's a tricky issue for many hoteliers because you need to keep updating, upgrading. People expect everything to look much better than they'd get at home. How are you managing the money that you need to put into these refurbishments in light of what they're actually worth and how much cash flow they'll generate? Look, an immense amount of work has gone into Sun City uh, over the last year, and particularly in lockdown, where we really looked hard at how we operate, how we manage, um, and we had started the the Cascades refurb, which we have completed. Um, we, you know, it wasn't a, a massive refurb, but the Cascades really is in good shape. So the the real priority projects looking forward, and and with our goal of targeting internationals and really getting that international market back to Sun City, we have to spend and invest in the palace. Uh, unfortunately, it is a matter of timing. We, you know, if, if things had returned a bit more to normal now at the start of this year, we probably would have pushed a bit harder the project. Likely going to be pushed a year out, um, maybe start the end of this year, and, and really get the palace to the level that internationals uh, expect. Well, Dave, there's uh, quite a week that we had last ah. week and uh, quite a day that we're having today as well. When you, we didn't go through all the analysis on the market, but uh, there's some big losses there. Sassel down nearly 4%, mm. uh, yeah. as Justin was saying a little earlier. Do we need to get a little worried that maybe, you know, things are, are falling apart? 
No, not really. I think we're just going through a little bit of a sell-off that's uh, in the commodity or in cyclicals, as the Americans like to call it. But um, that 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 came. You know, you know what's interesting, Alec? When interest rates, you know, we I'm sure you've covered already the ten-year bond and the rise that we've seen in the ten-year bond and how this has uh, disturbed markets. But what we have, what's happening now, as that ten-year bond starts to fall in the U.S. It takes down the cyclical companies or, um, you know, companies like that that would actually benefit from a much stronger economy, those that have actually lagged the market. So I think we saw that today. Oil price also came down quite dramatically. And, and the opposite is that techs go up. So when the, when you see an easing of the 10 year bond as we've seen now, uh, the tech technology shares uh, are, are, fa- are favoured, and the cyclicals, which have actually been very good performers up to now, just ease back. But I wouldn't – I'm not worried about that. I think we're still going into a very strong commodity market uh, soon as we come out of this pandemic, as growth starts to pick up. And we start to see a lot more spend in that area. But, you know, the volatility you must expect. That's the nature of the markets that we're in at the moment. But I don't think it's going to necessarily knock uh, the long-term benefits, uh, you know, away, uh, and, you know, knock them off the, off the, off the perch. So I'm, I'm still fairly positive. I like Neil Froneman. I, I was listening to his uh, excerpt there. That's old Neil. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's very positive on what lies ahead, particularly in the areas in which he's focused. Yeah, he always comes across well, doesn't he? Today we had old mutuals results. The share price is down 4%. That's not good news for about a million shareholders. Can you give them any good news? And remembering that many people inherited their shares because they had old mutual policies. I suppose the best news you can give them is that probably this year they'll be better than last year, but last year very poor results. And I think it's been characteristic of of the banks of all the other life companies that have come through at the moment um, number one there's been a worry of a of a surge in the pandemic yeah, a third wave but more so has been the absolute money that they've had to put away to satisfy claims and I think these are huge numbers Alec when you look at the results in other words uh, you know, forget about the absolute numbers. When you go through the results and you say revenue, less costs, you know, in the, in the normal accounting way, and then you see what's left over and of that, how much had to be put aside to pay claims and, you know, to, to prop up reserves. Very, these are big numbers. What, and I think yeah. this is a big worry. Sorry. One of the good things, though. Is that mm. the Peter Moyer effect is now over, surely. Oh, yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the chaos finished. that must have caused, caused mm. in the executive suite. And amongst everybody who works for the company. Here you've mm. got your CEO saying you're working for a crummy company. And mm. the, it's very hard to be, to be proud of Old Mutual if you've got that kind of behavior that was going on in the public eye continuously. No, I think between Sunlum today and uh, Mutual, I think we've got some very good leadership. I can't fault any of the the leadership in any of the uh, in any of the major life companies now. If you look at Discovery, if you look at Momentum, what isn't in their favour is just the economy, and and the, you know that's that's what they're fighting against. 
and they're also fighting against lockdown. Remember, these policies are sold door to door. Nobody decides, you know, I know they're shifting towards fintech and they're opening those kind of channels and they are starting to work. But by and by, it's somebody knocking on your door. I don't think I've ever woken up in the morning and said, oh, I just feel like buying an insurance policy or a beef. You don't do that. Someone gets hold of you and sells it to you and you, re- you know, you're quite reluctant to actually buy it, but they convince you to buy it. And I think they've lost out a lot, you know, and, and these, these live companies have always been known for their armies of agents that go out out there and sell and you know and uh, push those buttons but so it's a whole, i think it's mm. a whole new world and i've got two of the guys mm. who are actually busy in the whole world uh, new world warren wheatley and uh, mm. sean emery uh, you guys are, are disruptors uh, big time disruptors uh, sean rain uh, just tell us a little bit about your about you <laughs> the it's chaos you're causing worrying. in it's always worrying people call me a disruptor <laughs> yeah i wonder what I, uh, today and i spill a bit of coffee on your microphone and things like that but yes we we always have been since 2000. We've been priding ourselves in, in challenging the financial services. We started first, of course, you know, in the peer-to-peer space. So we went hard for the banks. We've, I have never really gone with insurance companies. It's something which is a, an interesting space in South Africa. And I think it's coming. I think a lot more people are coming around insurance. Mm. Uh, Warren, from your side, you've, you're a chartered accountant. You're better known for being a director of uh, Arena. We're going to talk about Kisby in just a moment, yeah. uh, which is a, a high-impact fund. But how are you seeing, from what David said a moment ago, the development? Um, Alec, from, from my perspective, I think buying policies online is increasingly finding um, momentum. But I, I do absolutely agree that you, know, you need to be pushed into buying it. And I think we need to discover what the new catalysts are going to be, given that you know, the, the old method of guys knocking on the door or calling a database one by one is is near over with the introduction of poppy but finding the catalyst to instigate these discussions or to prompt these discussions and that's where we we see media starting to play an increasingly active role in prompting the emotion where you start thinking about these difficult issues death um succession um, you know, what, what it looks like when your family is left bereft, all these kinds of things. And, you know, given how we now communicate with, with people, we need to find ways to get the message across and give them the ability to, to transact all at once. And I think that's where the disruption from an insurance perspective is going to happen. So that's a broad story. But the, the more specific story... <laughs> After lockdown, many companies got into trouble. When we did our interviews about Kisby, which is a fund to help SMEs, we were flooded with people who needed help. Um, we're going to be talking in a moment with you guys about where Kisby has come from and gone. But earlier today, my colleague Jackie Cameron spoke to the CEO of Riscura about their initiative in this regard. And it's pretty exciting stuff. Let's hear what Jackie had to say. They're getting feedback about how their money is actually making a difference in the economy. I think that's probably the most important thing. Anyone out there, any fund manager with a similar set of qualifications to us could create a product which is just aggregating some underlying fund managers. In this case, what's different is that we're reaching through to the underlying investments and we're actively involved in how those investments are actually serving to change our country. 
and we're reporting back on that in, in granular levels. People can really see the impact their money is having. And that's ultimately what you want. If you think about all savers, um, the, the more and more conscious our population becomes of, and you see this as a trend globally, the more and more conscious people become of what their money is actually doing, how it's being used, where it's going, social media and the internet uh, popularizes all of that. And the people want to know now, how is their money making a difference? You know, they want to know that it's not doing harmful things. Um, and so being able to actually report all the way down to that level is becoming very important in, in investments. One of the aspects of this fund of funds that you emphasize is that it is the first to launch in the unlisted debt space. A lot of companies need a bit of debt to be, to kickstart, to be kickstarted after COVID-19. But, you know, debt is traditionally associated with more stable companies or longer term histories. How does this unlisted debt help tap into the more entrepreneurial side of the South African economy? If you're financing any venture, probably you, you're going to look for at the difficult different capital markets you can go to to raise money. Equity is one way to do it. And that's much more risky capital. Um, debt's the other way. You know, traditionally, one would go to a bank, put your suit and tie on and go down to the bank to see if you can convince the bank manager to lend you some money to start your business. You know, in the modern age, that doesn't happen as much anymore. You have all the things, crowd, crowdfunding platforms. You have all sorts of other internet tools for raising finance. Um, but people still need to raise the money. and. The, the idea of debt is just that it's formalized into a contract whereby you need to pay the money back in a formalized way um, over time. It's just a more structured way of doing it and than is, say, equity. And so actually, for in many cases, it's lower risk than if you were to raise the, the money in other ways. That's one of the reasons we're starting with the debt. We think that that's the area which can get people used to the, the concept can get them investing, they can see the returns coming through almost immediately. They don't have to wait for a J-curve effect that you get with equity, for example. And they can get access to their cash back slightly earlier because often the loans are fairly short term, um, whereas you know, to get a liquidity event out of equity is, is a more difficult thing to do because you've got to wait and find an opportunity to sell your, your shares. And so debt makes quite a lot of sense in that respect. The other thing is from a risk point of view is that often it's collateralized. So um, sitting behind it is you know, some form of harder asset, a piece of land, other buildings, uh, some kind of property of some kind. And that gives more security to the, the investment. As a result, you may expect slightly lower returns, but we're not, but, but not lower returns than you might get out of these investments in any commercial sector. Uh, just lower returns than a different, different asset class like equity. And, and in this case, so we're targeting in, in the debt fund um, inflation plus 3 to 4%, which is meaningful. It means that you're getting a real return above inflation um, through time of between 3 and 4%, and at the same time, you're making a difference to the real economy in our country. That was Malcolm Fair talking to our colleague Jackie Cameron. Uh, Malcolm is the... Managing Director of Riscura. In studio, we've got Warren Wheatley and Sean Emery, who are also involved in, in the similar area. Hopefully, they're starting to get a bit of momentum now um, in alternative ways of raising money for companies that really need it after the smashing that many took during the uh, lockdowns. Sean? Yeah, you're right, Alec. I mean, I think 
What we love about that conversation that Riskira was having is that the big institutions are realizing that our SME economy is the real growth. And instead of investing money in the top 10, top 20, top 40, top 50 stocks that you reference, if they start investing into that middle economy, there is such a wake that they are behind them of economy that builds, that it builds their very own investments as well. We have to be taking some of the institutional capital and making it available in the SME sector. But... It has to be structured correctly. As you spoke about, there's a debt product, and people are expecting debt CPI plus three or four. When you approach an SME, you can't just go with that product. You have to have a combination of things. SMEs need a bit of risk capital, a bit of debt capital. What's an SME? Very, okay, interesting. I mean, there's lots of definitions, global definitions, there's the African definition. Our definition, from, from the Kisby Fund point of view, is somebody that can take on at least 10 million rands worth of financing. Whether that financing is... That would be an E, an M, sure, an medium. An M and an E for us. I mean, we're Mm -hmm. not actually in the S market or the the startup market or the small organizations getting going. The reason being that our funders are looking for some kind of stable return. So if you think about it, we're trying to build in this context this 5 billion fund we spoke about. We have got two tranches of capital that we take into our balance sheet. We take in stable capital, let's call it debt capital, through things like fund or fund, these fund, we're talking about from a rescuer point of view, those people. But we also look at impact capital. Impact capital that comes into us are people that are looking to have an impact with their money. So they give you, if I give you a thousand rand, Sean, can you take a thousand rand, borrow four thousand, and lend five to somebody? Use my thousand as a bit of a buffer so the person that lends the four has some, can actually, can feels a little more comfortable with the loan because he has a bit of a capital or a first loss or a bit of an equity position alongside there, so there's a bit more protection. Dave, uh, it sounds like a really, really good move that the big institutions are now starting to look at this area because if South Africa is going to grow, you can't just do it with the big companies. You've got to get the, the base moving. No, absolutely. And I think we've been behind in this. In in America, you can raise as much capital as you want. They have the venture capital market, of course, which is an equity market, but it's also made up of some debt instruments as well. But our banks have been have run the show for what for 150, 250 years, however long South Africa has been, and have been very conservative. Um, who was it, Warren, that said, you know, oh, oh sorry, the chap from Rescura said, you know, you've got to well, put your tie in and go into the bank manager and, and beg and beg and beg, you know, and bring a chocolate cake or something and you might get a load. I think, I think those days are over. And I think we have to take a much more liberal approach to actually financing small businesses and begin to take the risk and, and, and mitigate that risk and understand the risk. So I'm, I'm fully on that side, you know, just that, that, that we start to become a little more aggressive in that area. And, uh, and yes, the banks are, 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 are giving up, you know, they're still very conservative. Alec, have you looked at NetBank's results or Standard Bank's results, all of them? Have a look at the deposits that were building up and how little they actually lent out in a time when people are crying for money. Yeah. So uh, I'm glad someone's coming in and bridging that gap. What's that story about the umbrella, Dave? Yes, exactly. So. The banker gives you the umbrella <laughs> exactly. when the sun is shining and takes it away when it's raining. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you, but if you have a look at Old Mutual's results and Old Mutual's mm-hmm. share price reaction, they've got to think differently. They've got to do something different at these mm-hmm. big institutions. Mm-hmm. So it's good to see that they are looking. Warren is in studio with us as well, Warren Wheatley. Are you seeing that? Are you seeing, say, Old Mutual? 
uh, to use a specific example, looking at the realities of South Africa and the realities of, of where capital needs to be allocated and starting to come to the party? Alec, there's an adage that says um, a fool and his money are easily parted. Mm-hmm. We have not met any fools in the insurance industry um, <laughs> at, at all. Um, and everyone is... Is that a good thing, that they, no, their money, they're uh, not parting no, with I, their money? I'm, I'm being facetious, but the guys are just holding on. I mean, we completely undermiss, underestimated the task at hand in raising particularly the impact component of the, the fund. In fact, I wish Mark was here because Mark is really... Mark Barnes. Mark Barnes. Mm-hmm. He's driving the philanthropy or grant side of of the the fund. And we have so many ultra high net worth families and family offices actually wanting to just give us money on the proviso that we pass that benefit of free capital onto the SMEs directly. Um, and the SMEs are saying, please yeah. do it. So what's stopping um, it? Where's, the, where's what, the blockage? What they're looking for is almost some type of institutional endorsement. So we are aggressively trying to sign on large institutional backers because it, it sort of gives you a, a credibility stamp. And one of those I'd love to announce is that we've partnered with Alawani Capital Partners, which is a fund management business with almost $100 billion in assets under management. And we've brought them onto our investment committee, but also to manage a component of our debt capacity and a component of our equity capacity within the fund. That's a big fish, yeah, $100 so they, billion. They, They've been, well, that's the assets under management. We, uh-huh. we hopefully will get a slice of that if, if some of their clients decide to opt in. But those are the kind of relationships families are looking for us to have before they start giving away grant money. They want to know that their money is going to be used as effectively as possible. And as um, so you've gone through the due diligence. Someone's gone through the due diligence to yeah. see that you, you know what you're doing. We've, How many more of those do you need? Um, we're looking for there's, there's one more big fish that, that's circling the hook. Um, and we, we're pretty confident that they'll take a bite. We can't at this stage disclose. It's um, not Sassman, David, is it? No. David? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It's, it's not the Shapiro, so. the Shapiro family office. <laughs> uh, not yet. David, we'd love to, we'd love to present uh-huh. to you and your board on, on what we're doing. And, and maybe yeah, I, when you're in studio next, I'll come and hijack you. <laughs> that was pleasure. I listen. I'm big into. I'm big into that, and a big supporter of it. That's that whole Satsman's whole business is actually doing that. <laughs> well, that's good news, Warren. Um, the breakthrough. Would you say it's happened yet? Uh, given that you're now getting Rescura, who are they? They also advise many uh, major institutions as well, coming into the same game. And I ask this because there must be thousands of small business owners who are saying, for goodness sake, the banks are turning us away because they want far too much security. Where can we get the, the, just the little bit of a hand up, not a hand out, and we can continue with our business or indeed rescue it and keep the jobs? So Malcolm raised very good points. And the, the institutional asset class or the, the asset classes institutions look to invest in, is, it, it's very difficult. 
When we started off, we thought, let's just be simple. We'll issue an equity instrument for the impact portion and a debt instrument. And our idea was both of these would be listed to incorporate some type of liquidity into the, into the, the, the product. But when you speak to pension funds or provident funds or RAs, or all they want to talk about is these in-common deep partnerships. So we had to restructure ourselves. But of course, once you structure an in-common deep partnership, it's almost like an arranged marriage and you've got to stick in, stick in it come hell or high water. And so we've had to talk in the language and in structures that the institutional market understands but still try to give them liquidity, which is almost their safety net in case it doesn't work. And we found different and unique ways to do that while still talking in the sort of LPGP language that institutions understand so well. Um, but, you know, it's a careful balance. They hate anything brand new, but they also want product development that addresses some of these issues, mm. particularly when it's a new concept. Well, well done, guys, for uh, persevering. It appears as though we're finally getting to a place where we need to be as far as uh, getting South Africa back on track is concerned. Uh, you were listening to Warren Wheatley and Sean Emery. They're from the Kisby Fund, which we've been following very closely here on Biz News. Well, the business conference that I mentioned a moment ago uh, was held at the Champagne Drakensberg Resort, Champagne Sports Resort, it's called, in the Drakensberg. And uh, we had some fascinating guests, including Charles Savage. Charles disclosed to us, and no, uh, well, David, I'm going to be very interested to hear what you think about this, because he actually disclosed to us his transactional, sorry, transformative transaction. And we've seen the share price of Purple Capital go from 80 cents to over a rand in a couple of weeks. So if you didn't buy at 80 cents, um, should you be buying at a rand? We'll hear from David in a moment. But first, let's see what Charles had to say. Capitec was, I'm smiling because it's the most incredible deal. I still pinch myself about the deal because it happened, it was 2018 December and 2018 December, no, 2019, December 2019. And... Uh, the head of innovation at Capital Bank had phoned us. He was a customer of Easy Equities. He'd got to call center, and he'd got to me, and he phoned me, and I was literally about to go to Mozambique on holiday, and he phoned me and said, look, Charles, with, we're, you don't know who I am, but I'm a head of innovation at Capitec, and all we want to know is do you, would you like to partner us and put Easy Equities inside Capitec Bank? And we were like, is this a joke? Like, are you, you, cause when we, and I'm going back again. When we started Easy Equities, we put a couple of names on the board, so who would be the ultimate partnerships? And Capitec was top of the pile, and now they were phoning us. And we said, I said, yeah, of course we'd love to partner you, but what's the deal? What, you know, how does this work? So, no, we're building an ecosystem of partners that we believe in, that we want to show to our customers, pass on to our customers, and we think you're the best one to be first in that marketplace. Um, and we just want to know if you're interested. And so I spent my whole December worrying about what does that mean and then we came back in january and we did a deal it took us two weeks to negotiate the deal and it was incredible like i, I, I can see why capitec is so successful firstly harry was alongside the deal the whole time and i thought you know why i thought he'd be too busy doing other stuff and the second thing is at the end of the deal they were difficult in the engagement in terms of making sure they got the right value out of constructing the deal and at the end of it 
the economics they had negotiated for themselves, they withdrew from. They gave me more back. And they were like, we just wanted to make sure we were getting a good deal, and now we want to make sure you feel like you're getting a good deal. And they've given, like, the deal is crazy. It's a, it is... That's extraordinary. I, I, I haven't heard of that before in the South African context. You no. do hear more far-sighted companies perhaps elsewhere in the world. I think it's because, um, I think what, what they see in easy equities is a value proposition that will keep their customers at the bank. And so for them, it's not about the economic value that it creates out of their customer base. It's about the stickiness that it's creating for their customer's base. And Capitec's long-term objective is to democratize access to private banking. And if you see their shift in products and services from micro-lending to where they are today, the future is private banking for all South Africans. And at the center of that future sits easy equities, because if you're going to have private banking, you're going to have to have access to assets and fractional access to assets. And so I think they see us at the center of that strategy, um, and they, want, they also recognize, I mean, they're a highly disruptive uh, digital bank, and they know what that income statement needs to look like to drive that disruption. So if they were taking the lion's share of the economics, they were actually would have been shutting down the disruption income statement, because we weren't profitable when we did the deal. I mean, we're profitable today. Um, uh, so I think, you know, I think Harry understood that in giving us the lion's share of the economics, he was enabling our disruption, and by dis enabling our disruption, enabling his business plan. And they are, they're just not what I expected in dealing with, with a bank uh, in South Africa, because I've, I've failed to do a partnership with any other bank in this country for 20 years, and I've Did tried. Did you even look? You have tried. Yeah, we've tried. You know, I think this, this, the, the, the South African banking mentality is if you can do it, we can do it better. And that's... Uh, the, what they've missed is that the world is moving so fast today is that you can't do it faster. You might be able to do it better, but it's going to take you longer, and your customers aren't going to wait for you to do it anymore. So the fintechs, the edge that we've got is speed of execution, um, and that speed gives us massive co a competitive advantage over the banks. And the, f the future of banking is, not, is going to be unbundled. And, you know, that's, this, I, I guess uh, that's why crypto is such a threat to the banking system is because we're not going to buy banking service in this bundled way. We're not going to do what the banks want us to do, which is we do, we're going to do our asset ownership, our lending, our transacting, um, our mortgaging, all of that stuff in one place. It's not going to happen. The future of banking is going to be delivered through fintechs, in my view, that have partnered through an ecosystem platform play, let's call it Capitech, where the best in breed, the customers will choose best in breed to deliver those services and completely unbundled. Um, and that's why I, I think Kerry sees that future where the bank isn't every part. David, one of our delegates left after listening to Charles Savage and put it in order and bought 50,000 rands worth of uh, Purple Group uh, shares. Uh, and you could have got it earlier uh, this month at 80 cents. They, I see down one cent uh, today to 102 cents. Hey, what a lovely story, though. It is. And, and you know what? It's, it's something that I encourage every young person to do to start their own ownership. In other words, own their own assets. Charles describes it as assets. I'm an equity man, so I focus on equities. But in other words, if you want to learn about business, if you want to learn about the stock market, yes, unit trusts can come much later. It's like buying a chauffeur, someone else to drive you around. But when you're a kid and young, you want to drive yourself. And I think there's nothing more exciting than actually choosing your own shares and buying your own shares on this. And, and again, many of them affordable. 
And uh, I'm, you know, I'm a Robin Hood fan. I believe in in what they. I, sometimes, maybe uh, from a compliance point of view, they kind of veer off and so and so. But I think the regulators are there to, to you know, to keep them intact. But I think it's wonderful, and I encourage every young person, you know, to start their own portfolio, looking at small businesses, doing your own research, and and Alec, the returns are phenomenal. I started a hypothetical uh, um, portfolio last year, which I caught, you know, which which was at the bottom of the market, and by the end of the year, it was up like 60, 70 percent, and it had shares like Hewlett, Tongard, ArcelorMittal. This year, my ventilator fund is up 26 percent now uh, uh, from the first of January. I think we're going to be small talk- companies. We're going to small talk- companies. We're going to talk about that mm. tomorrow night, Dave. Your ventilator okay. fund, and uh, <laughs> and I guess a good place to start on a stock. That you you can buy into your portfolio listening to what Charles Savage had to say was Capitech. Well, David will be back uh, tomorrow, but before we go, let's hear what was in the news today from our colleague, Jackie Cameron. Steinhoff will be settling as much as 1.4 billion rand in legal claims after insurers agreed to pay out on director liability policies. The announcement sent Steinhoff's shares up on the Johannesburg and Frankfurt stock exchanges. The move takes the scandal-hit retailer a step closer to a proposed $1 billion global lawsuit settlement, which was announced in July to settle about 90 separate legal claims in the Netherlands, Germany and South Africa. As part of the agreement, including with former chair Christo Visa, the insurers will offer an amount of up to 55.5 million euros to market purchase claimants in exchange for certain waivers and releases. Steinhoff says it still maintains the right to take legal action against former CEO Marcus Joerster, former CFO Ben Lachranji, former secretary Stehan Hrobler and the group's ex-Steinhoff Europe director Sigmar Schmidt for their alleged involvement in balance sheet fraud. Old Mutual has returned to paying dividends even though it reported an annual loss. It suspended its dividend in the first half as the pandemic dealt it a 6 billion rand blow. Old Mutual sales fell and credit losses rose. Old Mutual also had to hike its business interruption and rescue reserves to about 790 million rand in the second half. This rise was more than double its guidance in the first half. Northern Platinum says it will buy back all preference shares from its black economic empowerment vehicle Zambezi Platinum four years ahead of its 10-year maturation date. The nearly 2 billion rand transaction will offer a 16% premium for the Zambezi preference share and will also include an overall 25% share buyback by Northam, the company said. Northam has been buying back Zambezi's preference shares from institutional shareholders to reduce its own preference share dividend expense and liability and potential financial exposure under the guarantee it gave to shareholders. China faces the threat of foreign outflows from the second half of the year as rising borrowing costs in the US drive investors out of emerging markets. This is according to a former advisor to China's central bank. The U.S. stimulus is boosting the outlook for growth and inflation, driving up bond yields and prompting investors to sell riskier emerging market assets. That, says Bloomberg, is a worry for global policymakers as they brace for more volatility in their currencies and financial markets. And that was your Biz News Flash Briefing. I'm Jackie Cameron for Biz News. And Justin Rowe Roberts is uh, closing us out with the market performance today. The JSE All Share Index was down at 65,200. Some of the day's highlights include index heavyweight NASPIS was up 30 rand to 3,500 rand a share. Investment holding company Raynet increased by 12 rand to 290 rand a share. Sasol lost over 7 rand on the day to 210 rand a share. 
on the back of low oil prices. Anglo-American decreased 22 rand on the day to 550 rand a share. In the currency markets, the rand strengthened against all the major currencies to 14 rand 73 cents to the dollar, 20 rand 30 cents against the pound, and 17 rand 50 cents against the euro. Gold is flat at $1,734 an ounce. Brent crude is sharply lower, lower, trading at $62 a barrel. And one Bitcoin will put you back 810,000 rand. And you can pick up a recording of the show and full podcasts that have been referenced in it on Biz News Radio. It's a channel on both Spotify and iTunes. Just go on to Spotify, iTunes, search Biz News Radio, and there you have it. We also live stream worldwide and broadcast free to air, of course, on FMR in Cape Town. I'm Alec Hogg. Until tomorrow at 5.30, cheerio. You've been listening to the Power Hour, brought to you by the team at Biz News.